Thank you everyone for joining us for our worship today. Those who are here in church, a few of us and those who are online. I want to really appreciate you for giving faithfully all this time. Last year and this year, we're going through difficult times, but you've been giving faithfully and we appreciate you for that. I also want to encourage you today to share this live stream on your Facebook wall or send a link on YouTube to your friends. Like this on YouTube. You can also subscribe if you have not because we want to be part of the end time harvesters preaching the gospel through media. And we know that media has the potential to reach the millions all across the nations. Every Sunday, we are receiving testimonies of people who are getting delivered, healed, and even restored in their faith through our online services. So if you will just share, you'll be part of this ministry because you are being a witness for Jesus just by sharing. Sometimes you don't have to preach. You can just share. Somebody will get blessed through your sharing. All right? Let's do that right now. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to go into the message. You can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. I was jogging at the Indira Gandhi Stadium a couple of weeks back. I think it was two weeks back and I was contemplating in my heart. Lord, what do believers need to hear from the Holy Spirit in such times? When it seems that all the news that we are receiving is negative news. Negative news. News about sickness. Whether it's physical sickness, mental and emotional sickness. News about economic hardship. People have lost their jobs. Businesses are suffering. People are losing their money. And also students are frustrated because of the inability to have physical classes. And then we are again bombarded with news about deaths. Deaths of our friends, our loved ones, known people in society. And when people go through prolonged periods of darkness, prolonged periods of suffering, you know, it begins to affect the mind and the hearts of the people. It begins to fill our hearts with sorrow. It begins to fill our hearts with despair, with hopelessness, and a constant expectation of bad news. So that in the morning when you wake up, you start asking your friends, did anyone die today? Is anyone sick today? So your mind begins to be geared towards the negative. So the Holy Spirit whispered in my heart that what believers need to hear in such times is the message of hope. Hope. Not the hope that the world teaches. You know, there's a kind of hope that the world talks about. There's an old saying. It's a Roman saying that goes like this. While there is life, there is hope. And like all saying, it seems to be true, but there is no certainty. There's no guarantee to it. It's like wishful thinking. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope things get better. Yes, we say the word hope, but we mean it more. We mean it more as I wish. It's wishful thinking. There's no guarantee to it. There's no certainty to it. But Bible hope is different. Bible hope comes from the word elpis, and it means a confident expectation of good things to come. In Bible hope, there's no wishing. In Bible hope, there is no maybe. In Bible hope, there is a certainty, a knowing. There was a Christian that was brought before the judge long time back during persecution. And the judge asked him, 
Do you really think that the likes of you will die and go to heaven and be with God? This old man said, there is nothing that you can make me do. Deny Jesus. Be suffered to torture. Beheaded. Death on the cross. There is nothing that you can make me go through that will make me deny my faith in the Lord. Because this is what he said. My faith in Christ is not a maybe faith. It is not an I think so kind of faith. Because the judge told him, do you really think so? That the likes of you can go to heaven and be with God. And he said this, I do not think so. I know so. He said, I know so. That is Bible hope. It is a knowing. It is not a thinking. It is not a wishing. It is not just a maybe kind of hope. It is a knowing. It is a certainty. Just as sure as the sun will rise from the east tomorrow. We don't say, I hope the sun will rise tomorrow. We say, we know the sun will rise tomorrow. That is Bible hope. And that is what you need to hear and be established in and be practicing in such times. See, Christian hope is a knowing, a certainty. Living with confident expectation of good things to come every day. That fuels our excitement and our enthusiasm. Hope is being able to see the light even in the midst of darkness all around. And this is what the epistle of Peter teaches us. You know, Paul is the apostle of grace and faith. John is the apostle of love. And so Peter can also be called the apostle of hope. Because the overwhelming theme of 1 Peter is be hopeful. That is what Peter is telling these believers. These believers that he calls in verse 1, pilgrims. Or in other words, strangers. Strangers of the dispersion. That means the Jews who have been dispersed, the believers in all over Europe in different places. Peter tells us that the important thing in the midst of all suffering is to have hope. Because in this letter, Peter mentions suffering 15 times. Because he writes this letter to Christians who are going through suffering. Some of them because of doing good. Some of them because of their witness for Christ. And also, Peter wrote this to prepare the believers for what he knew was coming. And what was that? Official Roman persecution under the emperor Nero. He knew that it was coming. And so he wrote this letter to prepare the disciples all across the different regions that even in the midst of trial and suffering, there is hope in Jesus Christ. You see, the times that they were going through was much darker, were more difficult than our times. And the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write this message of hope. And that's the same message you and I need today. The exact same message. And when we read this, we will discover that every believer in Christ can live with vibrant hope every day of their lives because of these four reasons that I'm going to give you today. Number one, First <clears throat> Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, God has abundant mercy for you even today, has begotten us again to a living hope. Underline that in your Bible. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible says every believer is born again, begotten by the Father, by the Spirit to a living hope. We are not born again into pessimism and negativity and fear. We are born again into a living hope. We can have a living hope today. That word living means quick. It means lively. Which means hope has a quickening ability. Hope has an energizing power. It can lift us up from any trial, any suffering, any loss, any despair, any demoralization, anything that we're going through, sickness, failure. You may feel like you have no more energy to be faithful with God. You want to give up. But when hope comes, it is lively, it is energetic, and it can lift you up. One of the best illustrations of this we find in 1 Samuel chapter 30 in the Old Testament. I want you to turn there. 1 Samuel chapter 30. This is a story of David while he was a fugitive running from Saul. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30 from verse 1 onwards that David and his men were camped in a city called Ziglag. But they had left their family, their children and their wives, and had gone to join the Philistine king to fight. But the Philistine king said, David, you don't have to because all the other noblemen are insecure about you being with us. They are not trusting you. So you can go back to Ziklag. So Daniel and 600 warriors, they come back to Ziklag. But when they come back to the shop, they discover, verse 3, when they came to the city, there it was, burned with fire, and the wives, the sons, and the daughters had been taken captive. This is the worst situation that David has ever found himself in, in the scriptures. Even worse than the time when Saul was chasing him as a fugitive. Even worse than the time when his own son Absalom wanted to kill him and take the throne. Because here you see a situation where not only him, but his men, their wives, their sons and their daughters are taken captive. Everything they have has been stolen and the houses have been burned to the ground. The entire city is razed. And in verse 4, the Bible says, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Imagine this, 600 toughened warriors out there in that city, weeping, crying loudly. If you ever heard weeping, especially in times of funeral, even if it's just four or five people, the voice really travels through the distance. It really goes through all the colony. Here, 600 warriors are weeping and crying out and they do it for a long time because the Bible says until they had no more power to weep. So it may be about three or four hours that they are weeping and howling and crying. They experience such deep loss. Not only that, they have come back from a far journey. They are tired. They're experiencing sorrow and loss. They're completely demoralized. Verse 5 says, 
David's two wives were also taken captive. Verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, sorrowful, every man for his daughter and his sons. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And so what does David do? Verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, David seeks the priest. In moments of hopelessness, the first thing you need to do is seek Jesus. The priest is a type of Jesus. And the inquire of the Lord, what should we do? You need to hear from the Lord, the promises of God, the Word of God. Whenever a word comes from God, that word will bring faith. And the Word of the Lord came to David. Verse 8. And God answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, you will recover all. So the word of the Lord came from the priest through the ephod to David. Pursue and you will recover all. Pursue and you will recover all. When that word of the Lord came, the Bible says in verse 9, So David went, he and the 600 men. The Bible doesn't give us much detail here. But imagine this. One moment they are demoralized. They are sorrowful. They've lost everything. They are weeping until they have no more strength to weep. They have lost all energy in their, in their tears. But the moment the word comes, pursue, you will overtake and you will recover. There's something that rejuvenates them, that strengthens them, not only in their heart, but in their bodies. And 600 men are able to get up again, take up their weapons and again run into the wilderness and run for several hours and days till they catch up with the Amalekites camped and they're able to recover all. They're able to bring back the wives, the sons and daughters without losing anything. Where did they get this energy, this strength, this power? It was the word that came from God that brought hope. Pursue and you will surely recover all. That is the power of hope. When hope comes, strength comes. Power comes. A quickening comes. An enthusiasm comes. And that's what God wants to release in your life today. In my own story, I want to share a message about hope. This land on which the church exists today was not the first land that we were actually buying for our church. In the year 2008-2009, we were about to buy a land just below the police headquarters near Bethel Hospital. We even paid the installment of 18 lakhs in the first place. And we were so excited about this land. Nice piece of land. We were excited. All our hopes were on it. We were praying for it. I was imagining how the building will be constructed. But to our shock and horror, the owner of that land cheated us and sold that land to another party with a higher price. And despite all our efforts, he would not listen to us and he would not go back on what he had done. You know, we were shocked. We were disappointed. We were angry and also completely demoralized because I began to think, what was the use of all our prayers? What was the use of all our fasting? And I was completely disappointed in my heart that for a few days, I lost all energy and desire to even come to the church 
to work in the office. I lost all desire to pray. I lost all desire to serve God in the ministry. I was like completely demoralized. But as we prayed, as we went into the place of prayer, just seeking God, the still more small voice of the Holy Spirit whispered in our hearts, there is a better place. Pick yourself up and continue. There is a better place God has prepared for you. When I heard that, there is a better place. There was a rejuvenation. There was a strength. There was an enthusiasm that came back. There was a liveliness that came back. And we were able to let go of whatever happened in the past and look ahead to the future with confident expectation that even though we have lost this place, there was a better place. You see, when the Word of the Lord came, it filled us with confident expectation of good things. And by the end of 2009, we bought this piece of property. Let me give you certain characteristics of hope. Number one, hope is a supernatural quickening force from God. Hope is supernatural. It is not, I wish so. It is a supernatural quickening force from God. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord, some translations say wait, it's the same. When you wait on the Lord, it is meaning have expectancy on the Lord every day. Those who hope in the Lord will renew the strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hope releases supernatural strength to walk with God. In these times, if you feel like you want to give up on your faith, you give up on your commitment to God, God is saying, hope on the Lord. Number two, hope is always connected to the future. Never to the past. You can never find hope by looking to your past, looking to your mistakes, looking to your injustices and your pain. Hope is always connected to the future. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Hope, future, always connected. Hope and a future. Hope is always looking ahead, looking beyond the circumstances. Hallelujah. Number three, hope comes from God. The source of all hope is God. Jesus is the source of your hope. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope, expectation of glory. When Christ is in your life, every day can be full of hope. Romans 15 13 says, the God of all hope, May fill your heart with joy when you believe in Him. He's the God of hope. He's not only the God of healing and the God of power and the God of grace. He is the God of hope. You have confident expectation. He can fill your future with the expectation of good things to come. And number four, we receive hope through the grace of God. As we just read in verse 3, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus speaks about His sacrifice, redemption, which means the grace of God. It is through God's grace that we have hope. Because I know Jesus rose from the dead, I when I believe in Him, I am sure I too 
will rise from the dead. Death for me is not a finality. It is just a door to a better world. It's a door to an eternal world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives me hope so that today, even if I should experience loss, people die, loved ones die. Even if I should die, my message to my family would be this. There is a blessed hope. We do not sorrow like the world. We do not cry like the world as if there is no hope. Even in the midst of our pain, there is this strength in the hearts. There is this hope, the blessed hope that when Jesus comes back, we will be reunited and we will see each other. That's what the resurrection of Jesus does to us. Gives us hope. But the resurrection also speaks about how God can bring death now, how God can bring life from dead situations. How God can bring victory from defeat. Hope from hopeless situations. Success from failure. How God can bring profit from loss. Like we see in David's case. When they lost everything, God added more. Another great illustration is the life of Peter. I believe no one understood grace as much as Peter because he really experienced it personally from Jesus Christ. You remember Peter is the disciple who said, I will not deny you, Jesus. When Jesus told him, tonight, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Peter said, no way. Even if all these other disciples reject you, I will not reject you. I will even die for you. Paul, Peter was so confident in his flesh, confident in himself. And he said, I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. But when he was in the house, the court of the high priest, and the servant girl came and told Peter, you are one of the disciples of Jesus. Peter turned around and said, no way, no, no, no. Not only did he say no, he said no with cursing. And at that very moment, Jesus looked at him and he knew that he had failed the test. He had denied Jesus. And he was filled with such hopelessness. There's an interesting verse. Luke chapter 22 verse 61. An interesting account. In the very moment when Peter denied Jesus Christ. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, the Bible says. The very moment Peter denied Jesus, Jesus looked at him turned to him and looked at him. Now, what do you think was in that look? Was it a look of disappointment in the eyes of Jesus? A look of anger? A look of hurt? How could you do this to me, Peter? Was it that kind of a look? If I was Jesus, I would feel completely justified to give that kind of a look to Peter. And who would have blamed Jesus? And this man who said, I will not leave you. Even of all these leave you, I will not deny you. Denied him three times, even with cursing. But this is the interesting thing. None of these natural responses that we would normally give is what happened here. The Greek word here, look, it means interest, concern, love. To look with love, concern, and interest. In other words, even at the moment that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus gave him a look of love and concern. Jesus was communicating to Peter with his eyes. I know you have denied me right now, but I'm concerned about you right now. 
Because I know you're going to feel broken, condemned, sorrowful, depressed because you denied me. I'm concerned for you, Peter. That was the look that Jesus gave. There was no condemnation in that look. There was no anger. There was no dagger eyes. You know, the dagger eyes sometimes we give to our friends. Husband and wives give to one another. Those dagger eyes. You know what I'm talking about. There was nothing like that in the eyes of Jesus. Peter experienced grace even in that moment. But of course, Peter was filled with shame. Because he's the one who boasted. I will not deny you. He must have felt like everything is gone. It's hopeless. Jesus is dead. He has denied. He's filled with shame and remorse. So what does he do? He goes back fishing. Why? Because he feels that everything is gone. It is all hopeless now. His confidence is lost. His hope is lost. And he goes back fishing. I have discovered in my years of ministry that believers also lose hope. Believers lose hope when they have failed morally. When they feel like through their addictions, they deny Jesus every day. When they do things that they know they should not have been doing, they lose hope. When they fail in the commitment to God, when they fail in the day-to-day -day life, they lose hope. And guess what they do? Like Peter, they go back to the old habits. They go back to the old lifestyle. They go back to the old friends. Because they have this feeling of shame, condemnation, that there is no more hope. But even when Peter went fishing, he experienced the amazing grace of God because Jesus comes to him and has that conversation with him where he says, do you love me, Peter? And as Peter denied him three times, Jesus restores him three times by asking him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. And at the end, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Take care of the sheep. The amazing grace of God restores a weak and a hopeless man back to the ministry. Not only the ministry, but to be an ambassador for Christ and an apostle, apostle of Jesus Christ. That is what the grace of God did in Peter's life. And that is why when Peter wrote this epistle, I believe he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but his purpose is this, his intent is this. That this disciple will also experience the hope that came into his heart through the grace of God. And that's what Peter wants us to also experience today. Hope through the grace of God. Today you and I can live in a living hope. Why? Because even in our sins, even in our moral failures, there is forgiveness of sins every day in Jesus' name. In his blood. Even in our unrighteousness, there is a gift of righteousness that covers us every day. When we feel unworthy for blessings and for miracles, the grace of God releases favor so that we are not worthy in ourselves, but we are worthy because of Jesus. We can have living hope because there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ. Even when you feel like you don't deserve, there is no condemnation, even in your failures. In the midst of sickness, there is healing because by His stripes, we are healed. In the midst of every negative situation, when we feel like the curse is hunting us, we have grace to believe that we are redeemed from every curse of the law and that gives us hope. 
No matter how many times you fail, there is hope because of the grace of God. Hallelujah. In the midst of bad circumstances, all things work together for good to those who love God. You see, the grace of God in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of negative circumstances, the grace of God gives me the power and the ability to live every day with confident expectation. Good things are to come. You see, grace sets the Christian faith apart from every other religion. In Christianity, the idea that you cannot buy the love of God, it comes without any strings attached. You cannot merit or earn His favor and His grace. It seems to go against every instinct of humanity. See, the Buddhists have the Eightfold Path. Hindus have karma. What you do will come back to you. The Jews have the law. The Muslims have the code. And all of these teach that this is the way to gain approval with God. And any small failure in breaking any of this law fills the heart with condemnation and not an expectation of good, but an expectation of bad things to come. Karma. It will come back in your life. But grace is so radical because grace says, even in the midst of your failure, the power and the love of God can cover it. Even in the midst of your unworthiness, His love, His favor is unconditional. Despite all your weakness, the grace of God can come and cover you. You see, because God loves us so much, Jesus loves us so much, He took our sin, He took our curse, He took our wrath that should have come upon us and gives us grace. Gives us grace. And because of that, every day we have a living hope. Every day, no matter how many times you fail, the Bible says in the words of Jesus, forgive 70 times 7. No matter how many times you fall, God will forgive you. Has already forgiven you in Christ. That is what gives us living hope. Because failure is never final. Failure is never final. Grace is always available for a fresh start. David fell. Samson fell. Job's life was almost destroyed. He lost everything. Elijah was depressed. He cursed his own existence. He wanted to die. Peter denied Jesus three times. Paul and Barnabas, they had a disagreement and they split in the ministry. And yet, even though they fell, they were restored. Though they fell, they were restored. Even you today, no matter how many times you have fallen, there is restoration because failure is never final. The grace of God gives us the ability to come up every day, pick ourselves up every day and say, today there are good things coming in my life. I have a confident expectation that the blessing of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God is coming upon my life today. You see, hope releases enthusiasm. Hope releases excitement. It makes you want to get out of your bed. But when you're filled with hopelessness, you want to cover yourself with a blanket even at 12 o'clock in the daytime. Hope is a living power from God. Hope is not a sedative. 
to make you just wait and just be patient. No, it is a shot of adrenaline, as Warren Risby says. It is a blood transfusion from the Holy Spirit. Number two, you can have a living hope today. First, because of the grace of God. Number two, because of the promises of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 again. The promises of God. Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. There is an inheritance reserved in heaven for us. Which means the promises of God. The inheritance underneath the inheritance is all the promises that are available because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. An inheritance is something you get because somebody died. That means we have it today. It's reserved in heaven does not mean that we will get it only when we die and go to heaven. No, it's reserved in heaven meaning Satan cannot steal it. Nothing in this world can take it away. No circumstances, no earthquakes, no floods can take away your inheritance. No moth or rust can destroy it. It is kept in heaven and you can access it every day. Do you know that you can go to heaven every day? I'm not saying physically dying and go to heaven. I'm saying by your faith, you can access the different treasure vaults in heaven where there's healing, where there's provision, where there's peace because all of this is to be coming upon the earth. Jesus said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. There's a will of God in heaven today and I can access it by my faith today. I can go to heaven every day by my faith and take my inheritance. Let me go to Hebrews chapter 6 and show you what this promise is. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. Whenever men swear, we always swear by a greater power. On my mother's grave, on my father's grave, that's how we swear. We put our hands on the Bible and say, I will promise to say the truth and nothing but the truth. But God has no higher power than him, so he swore by himself. Which means, if he does not keep his promise, he will have to destroy himself. And this is the promise. Surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The heirs of promise here is referring to us. So this promise was not only to Abraham, who is heir, singular, but to the heirs of promise, plural. That means to every believer. This promise applies to every believer. Heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by and of his vow that by two immutable things. Number one, it is impossible for God to lie. Number two, he made a promise. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope, the confident expectation set before us. So what is the confident expectation set before us? The promise. The promise is our expectation. Alright? Verse 19. This hope, this confident expectation we have as an anchor of the soul. The soul is your mind, emotions, and feelings. Both sure and steadfast and which enters the veil 
behind the presence behind the veil. The promise that we also are heirs of this world. Romans chapter 4 verse 13 says that God made a promise to Abraham that he would be an heir of the world. But in Romans 13 in verse 16 it says that that promise was not only for Abraham but it was also for all who are of the faith of Abraham. The seed of Abraham. Not only Jesus Christ but us believers. That promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world, that he'll be blessed, exceedingly blessed, hallelujah. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through him and that the blessing of prosperity, a long life, health, just the victory would come upon Abraham. That blessing was not only for Abraham but also for us. Heirs of this world. And all of that is guaranteed now in the death of Jesus Christ. So the promises that come through redemption give us a living hope. The more promises you know from God, the more hope you will have in your life, in every area of your life. Especially when you are lonely. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So when you know that promise in the midst of loneliness, you have hope. Financial hope. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to His glorious riches in heaven. My God shall supply, supply. So when you know the promise of God in the area of finances, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. When you give, you receive. When you know the promises of God in the area of finances, you can have hope. And if you have given today in the offering, you can have hope that God will meet your needs. Hallelujah. When you're experiencing injustice, the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 19, all vindication is mine. He is the God who will vindicate you. So you can have hope in injustice. You can have hope in distress because Romans 8 verse 39 says that no matter what you're going through, famine, peril, nakedness, and sword, Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When you're going through fear, 2 Timothy chapter 7, chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and soundness. So even in the midst of feeling fear, you can have hope because you know your inheritance, the promise. Those of you who have lost parents in this pandemic, orphaned, you feel orphaned. Psalm 68 verse 5 says, He's the father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. Hallelujah. When you're going through demonic oppression, James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the more promises you know, the more faith and hope you can have. When you're going through persecution, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 to 12, the Bible says, Blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is the reward in heaven. That means when you're going through persecution, you can have hope. You can rejoice. You can be glad. See, the power of hope is this. 
that you can always be joyful even when everything around you is burning. You can always be filled with excitement. Hope will always cause you to smile in the midst of the storm. No storm can destroy you as long as you have the power of God's hope beating in your heart. Number three, we can have living hope today because we are pilgrims. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter says, we are pilgrims on this earth. To the pilgrims. Pilgrims. Come on, say this with me. I am a pilgrim. Say, I am a stranger in this world. Say this with me. This earth is not my home. And that's the truth. Peter is reminding these Christians who are going to go through suffering. Hey, it's all right. Put things into perspective. This is not your home. Your final destination is heaven. Hallelujah. See, the world that we see today, that is not the end of everything. This is not finality. This is just a brief, temporary phase of life. We know that those who believe in Jesus, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have the promise of eternal life. We know that there is a better world that awaits us. And how beautiful can that world be? The Bible says Jesus took six days to create this world, the universe, the planets, the stars. And how beautiful are they? Six days to create every star, every planet, the beauty of the universe that we see every night, the beauty of the mountains, all the seashores on the Maldives, the mountains, the Himalayas and the Alps, all the beauty of every fruit that we can ingest, the beauty of creation, the insects and the birds kingdom, the animal kingdom, every plant, every beautiful thing that we see on the earth, He took six days to create. And if creation can be so beautiful, can you imagine what heaven will be like? Can you imagine? That is the destiny of every believer in Christ. And so when you and I know this is just a temporary phase for the rest of eternity. For eternity, I'm going to be with the Father in heaven. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? That thought, that belief will cause you to go through anything in this lifetime. It will give you power to go through whatever this world may bring against you. We are pilgrims. And that is why the old time saints in the Bible... They could go through whatever they went because they saw themselves as pilgrims, travelers. They're not here to take permanent residency on this earth. None of you are. You are a believer. You are just passing through. Your permanent residency is in heaven. Number four, we can have living hope today because God is at work in difficult circumstances. Look at verse 6 and 7. And this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is telling these believers that even though you're going through a fiery trial, and suffering right now. God is at work. How is God at work? 
He is refining your faith like gold is being refined. Whatever you're going through in this pandemic, God is using it in a supernatural way, in an unseen way, in a hidden way in your heart to refine your faith, to strengthen your character. God is not wasting these moments. You may be thinking, oh, these two years is wasted. It is not wasted in God. He's using this supernaturally to strengthen your faith because more important than your comfort is your character. More important then you losing a few temporary things is you gaining, gaining strength, character, purity from God in your life. You see, God is not the author of evil, but yet evil comes. But even in the midst of evil, He can supernaturally use that to refine us like gold, like gold. That means God wants to put gold in you. Or in other words, bring out gold out of your life. That gold is His glory that He puts into you. What is that, pastor? It's simple. From impatient people, God will bring forth patience. That is gold. From stingy people, God brings forth generosity. Like Zacchaeus. From fearful people, God brings forth boldness. From weak people, God brings forth strength. These were Christians that were suffering tremendous persecution under the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor Nero. Now, Christians, many times people look at them as weak people because we're not supposed to fight back, turn the other cheek, be meek, be loving all the time. So sometimes the world looks upon Christians as weak. But it is through what the world deems as weak, God brings forth gold. God brings forth strength, which is ultimately to His glory. Because the emperor Nero was one of the most cruel emperors. He would feed mothers and children to the lions in the Coliseum. He would put Christians on a stake and light them up as human torches for his parties at night. Using the burning Christian as the light for his parties. They went through tremendous persecution. Peter himself was crucified upside down after he wrote Second Peter under the same emperor. Yet in the midst of this that they faced, willingly giving their lives, what the world sees as weakness, their hope in Christ, they never let go of their hope in Christ, that was the power of God's Spirit working in their lives that brought forth gold, that brought forth that strength, that ultimately gave glory to God. Glory to God. You see, when you, in the midst of difficulty and pain and distress, never let go of your hope in Christ, that brings glory to the Lord. That's what God is working in your heart in such times. Interesting to note today that people name their children Peter and they name the dogs Nero. Right? Many people have dogs called Nero. I've never seen any human being called Nero nowadays. How history turns. Hallelujah. Ultimately, God always puts His blessing on those who remain faithful. Never let go of the hope in Christ. We must maintain the same perspective even today. Let me give you another characteristic of hope. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Hope 
is an armor against the powers of darkness. Which means, in such times when the devil seems to be working actively to bring depression, panic, anxiety, mental torture, suicidal thoughts to people all across the world, if you can trace the rise of depression, mental problems, it is in the beginning of the pandemic. The psychiatrists, doctors will say all across the world, the beginning of the pandemic, March 2020, suddenly depression spiked, suicide spiked. Which means Satan is working to bring warfare in the minds and hearts of people to devour people through this situation. And that's why hope is our weapon. Ephesians 6 verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So put on the armor of God. And the armor of God is not only prayer. Some people only do prayer. But you must also have the other, which is the knowledge of God's Word. Now look at verse 17. Part of the armor is this. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. What is the purpose of a helmet? If you are a bike rider, you know the helmet protects your head. That even if you have an accident and you get bumped on the head, it protects your brain so that you don't die on the spot. The helmet is always to protect the head. What's the head? Your thought life. Your thought life. Now what does this mean? How can I use the helmet of salvation? First Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us how we can do that. Turn there with me in your Bibles. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 8. For God I'm sorry, verse 8. Let us who are of the day, Christians, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three are the tripods of a victorious Christian life. When faith in God is there and the knowledge of God's love fills our heart, powerful hope will be evident in our lives. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope, the confident expectation. The belief every day that the blessings of salvation are coming to you. It's going to manifest in your life. Put on as a helmet, what? Fill your thoughts with the expectation of salvation. Salvation, meaning dying and going to heaven. Yes, that also, but not only that. Look at what the word salvation means. It means rescue, deliverance, healing, hallelujah, redeemed from every curse, peace, joy, victory in every circumstance, glory to God. The word salvation means every need of man who has believed in Jesus physically, spiritually, materially. Deliverance from the powers of darkness. That is there in salvation. Peace and joy. That's there in salvation. The glory of God. That's there in salvation. Strength. That's there in salvation. It's all included in the package of salvation. The Bible says, your helmet, your weapon against the fiery darts of the wicked one that are aimed at your mind. Do you know that the devil has no physical weapons? He's a spirit being just as God. So he can only send you spiritual attack. And what is that? Thoughts, words aimed at your mind. Thoughts of fear. Words of condemnation. Feelings that are affected 
and you start panicking. You start losing hope. You want to kill yourself. Thoughts of suicide come from the devil. So the Bible says, put on as a helmet the expectation. That means every day expect healing, deliverance, blessing, glory to God, peace. Always be expecting the promises in salvation to manifest in your life daily. That means the Bible is saying, don't be expecting evil news, bad news. Some Christians only want bad news. And then they wonder why they're filled with so much fear. So you have a choice to program your mind, renewing of the mind, to how you use hope as a weapon, as a helmet of salvation. Hallelujah. You see, the primary battle right now going on in the believer's life is in the mind. The battlefield of the mind where Satan will every day release thoughts of condemnation, fear, panic. And every day as you see darkness, the mind gets programmed to imagine that the worst is coming, the worst is coming, the worst is coming, worst things are coming. Because every day you see evil, you see. Your mind has only the ability to judge from what it sees. And that's why we have to go beyond what we can see. We have to go beyond the circumstance and see the Word of God, see with the eyes of the Spirit and release hope. Hallelujah. That's why when you put people in solitary confinement in prison, they lose hope. Not because there's no beauty outside, not because there is no future for that man, but because he's confined in that cell and he's all alone and he's in a dark place the mind plays tricks on him and the faith is destroyed. They lose heart. That's why people like Nelson Mandela can be in prison for years and not lose hope. And yet somebody can go to jail for one week and become broken. Why? It's the mind. The mind. That's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Come on, turn there with me. The Bible says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. The loins of your mind means the supernatural ability of your mind to produce. Your mind has the ability to produce in your life what it keeps on thinking about most of the time. The loins of your mind. Reproductive power of your mind. So if you're always thinking of evil, always thinking of negative situations, you see, it's not only thoughts. Pictures in your mind. What kind of pictures come? Sometimes people picture themselves dying. They picture themselves losing everything. They picture loved ones dying. Having an accident. What kind of pictures are playing in your mind? You see, the Bible is saying, gird up the loins of your mind. That means tie it up. Bandi dividei. Do like a dimakto. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober means, hey, cool, relax. Don't let your mind be like a storm. You see, hope is an anchor of the soul. Why? Because your soul, your mind, emotion, the feelings, sometimes in the middle of storm, you know, like those disciples on the boat with Jesus. They were panicking, they're going to die. Oh, you don't love us. In the midst of panic, we say harsh words. We start feeling that all is lost. And that's why hope is an anchor. Anchor. It anchors your mind, your soul, your feelings, your emotions. 
How? The Bible says, rest your expectation. Rest your expectation. Let your expectation be like you laying yourself down on a pillow. Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How can I protect my mind from hopelessness, being demoralized, from giving up? Because your mind is going through fanciful fantasies right now. You're imagining things that are never going to happen. Do you know that 99% of the things that you imagine can happen never happens? The fearful things that can happen, it never happens. And yet you let them control you so much with fear and worry and anxiety and dread. I remember the time when I was going through depression. And I tell you, it is terrible. Especially when it gets dark and it's night and your mind begins to start imagining all the worst scenarios, the evil things. Because you start thinking the worst, believing the worst, expecting the worst. And it begins to affect your soul, your body, your entire, you know, it's like jaundice that just makes your whole body yellow. That's what depression is. It fills the entire color of your life with a negativity with darkness. And then when there's a sudden noise, a sudden phone call, you're only expecting the worst. You're expecting all these bad scenarios in your mind. See, my mind was going through these fanciful scenarios that would never happen and it was affecting me. So the Lord taught me to use my mind to expect good things to come. And the Bible gives me the power, the ability, and the right to expect good things to come because of the grace of God, because of the promises of God, because hope is the helmet of salvation. So I began to deliberately put my mind and imagine I'm traveling to these countries and preaching the gospel. I would imagine myself, I'm staying in this beautiful, comfortable seaside resort and I'm preaching the gospel. I would begin to imagine good scenarios. I would begin to imagine positive scenarios. And I tell you, it lifted me up from the depression. I was not just fantasizing things that would never happen. I was fantasizing, using my mind to imagine the Word of God into my life practically. What does it mean when it says you are healed? I began to imagine myself healed. What does it mean when it says that God wants to prosper? I began to imagine myself prospering. And I tell you, it protected my mind from the fiery darts of the wicked one. Let me share with you this testimony of a Jewish lady called Edith Egger. She survived Auschwitz concentration camp. And this is what she says. In Auschwitz, when hopelessness overwhelmed me, I would think of what my mother had told me in the dark, crowded train on our way to prison. This is what she said. We don't know where we are going and we don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away what you put in your mind. So she held on to that and it says, during the long, terrible days and nights in prison, when people were dying every day around them, they were picking up dead bodies and putting them into the furnace. She said, I would choose what to keep in my mind. I would think of my boyfriend, Eric, how our romance began in a time of war. 
how we would go for picnics by the river, eating my mother's delicious fried chicken and potato salad, planning our future. I would picture in my mind how we would be reunited into each other's love. And I would picture the joy and the relief. And I would every day use my mind to have hope for the future. It is not that thinking these thoughts erased the horror. It did not bring back my parents, ease the pain of their debts. But this is what she says. But thinking of a better future helped me see past where I was. That's so important. When you begin to see the promise of God coming in your life, it helps you see past your pain, see past your difficulty, see past the darkness. And she says this, I was envisioning a tomorrow that included my beloved. And so it helped me keep starvation and torture and death in perspective. What perspective? This is what she says. I was living through hell on earth, but it was temporary. And if it was temporary, it can be survived. Isn't that powerful? Her testimony. She says, whatever you go through on this earth is only temporary. And if it is temporary, it can be survived. God has created you to be a victor. God has created you to be a survivor, believers. God has created you to not be destroyed. So do not fear. You are created for such a time as this. You are not weak. You're not hopeless. You are strong. Hallelujah. Come on, just begin to worship God. If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.